In our previous episode, we introduced you to the unsolved 1989 case of Nancy Little and her unborn baby. She was found in an odd position in the passenger seat of her own car. Family and police believe the killer was someone in her inner circle. Who in her inner circle would be evil enough to kill a woman who was about to give birth? So from a media perspective, this case fell off the radar for a long time, 27 years. After the original coverage in 1989, there was no mention of Nancy in the media until 2016 when one of her family members contributed $10,000 in addition to the $1,000 offered by Crime Stoppers for any information that would lead to an arrest in the case. They were desperate. So decades later, they are coming up with their Mm -hmm. own money to try to draw attention to this case. Yes, they want answers. For sure. And here we are five years after that, and the case is still unsolved. Mm-hmm. The case is so old that some of the original detectives who worked on the case have either died or they've retired. Wow. And that would make things even more complicated because all these records are passing through different hands and just makes something challenging even more challenging, doesn't it? Right. Um, Nancy's family told us that once the reward was increased, tips came in, which is... To be expected. expected. Exactly. That is what they wanted to happen. But, you know, you you would hope that somebody was doing it for the right reasons and not out of greed. One person in particular claimed to have information, but then clammed up when questioned by the police. So whether they really actually knew something or they just wanted some money, we don't know. Maybe they got scared. I, I really have no idea. After going to where her car was left when you and I went there, it really makes me think that Whoever murdered her, I think there's a really strong chance that they knew the neighborhood and that they knew someone in the neighborhood. Because, you know, when they abandoned the car, you know, they had to walk somewhere, possibly to someone's house. Maybe they knew somebody that lived nearby and they thought, oh, I can get help. So-and-so lives here. Maybe they'll help me out. Uh, and this is the time, 89, before cell phones. You know, maybe they had a pager or a beeper, but... They, there wouldn't have been a, a payphone in a residential neighborhood for them to, to page somebody. So, you know, what, what would they have done? Maybe once they exited the car, they had to go on foot somewhere within the neighborhood. Right. And it's possible that they could have just walked back to her apartment. It wasn't that far away. It was just a two-minute drive. So maybe it was 15, 20 minutes by foot. Uh, maybe the murderer left his or her car at Nancy's apartment and just walked back. At, yeah, that's definitely a possibility, I think. Their car probably would have been in her apartment, but let's just let's just assume. I'm just going to think of another theory. Let's assume they didn't walk back to her apartment, but they chose this neighborhood on purpose because I know somebody so and so that lives here that can help me. It would have been in the early hours of the morning, so maybe they knocked on the door. Oh, you know, I'm sorry, my car broke down. So and so, I need a ride. I the reason I think this is because in the 2016 newspaper article, um, the third detective that was working on this case, his name was Joe Stark, was quoted as saying, let's just say that location connected to her boyfriend. So if it connects to her boyfriend, then, I mean, I don't think, I don't know. He had some connection there. He knew somebody there, or he knew the area, or he was familiar with it, was from there at some point. It has something to do with him. So that's why I think it's a possibility he knew somebody that lived there. And the fact that that detective, again, that he was like, let's just say it has something to do with her boyfriend, that's not super shocking, you know? Whenever there's a 
a murder, that's usually the first person they look at is that person's significant other. other. Yeah, their husband, wife, whatever, whoever they were dating. And the family, they felt like Nancy's boyfriend had the most motivation to do something. I mean, police agreed with that because we read in the 2016 newspaper article that Nancy was getting ready to go to juvenile court Mm. to pursue child support. And the detective said, this means that if his wife doesn't know, she's going to find out, and that's a motive. Wow, yeah. So that's something new that we learned, Mm -hmm. that Nancy's boyfriend had a wife. Uh, The family told us that Nancy um, was told by her boyfriend that he was separated from his wife. Investigating this case, we learned that they had been married for four years, and not only was he married, but he had two young daughters. Mm. So Nancy, um, being pregnant, with her child, if she were to have given birth, mm-hmm. he would actually have been the father of three daughters because it turns out the autopsy showed that it was a girl. So Brandy would have been Aww. the name of his third child. Wow. So that's crazy. So his this father, the baby's father, had been spoken to, even detained by the police multiple times, but there was insufficient evidence to hold him or charge him with a crime. And so he was released. Um, and according to one source, he took and failed a lie detector test, which I know that doesn't hold, hold up. a lot of weight. Yeah, d- they can't use that in a court or anything, right? Right. But still, it is an interesting side point. Um, his alibi, according to Nancy's family, was his wife, which I also think is very surprising. You know, she stood by her man (laughs) i don't know if she knew he was cheating i don't know if she knew what was going on maybe they were separated maybe they were maybe she maybe she was his alibi but it's still like you i don't know you would think you'd be pretty mad at your husband you find out he's cheating and you wouldn't want to be his alibi. (laughs) not just cheating but fathered a child with someone else. yes definitely so it's it's super interesting to me that she was the one that encouraged him to get an attorney you know, I mean, they didn't have children together, so she had a life with him. But she was trying to get him to get legal help. And when we asked the MPD about suspects in the case, they said a person was placed under arrest but was never charged with any offense related to the death of Nancy Little or her unborn, unborn child. That same person was released. So, I mean, it doesn't take too much to put together the fact that it would have been the boyfriend that they were talking about. And I wonder what his disposition was like was he upset was he sad was he angry did Mm -hmm. he have some sort of uh, reaction yeah was he cold was he relieved i mean right or did he have some theory as to what happened to her Mm -hmm. um but uh, you know unfortunately the detectives that were involved in interviewing him back then aren't around so we don't Mm -hmm. know how he reacted one thing that does seem a little odd to me was that according to nancy's family he didn't attend her funeral Mm. Um, so if his wife was his alibi, so she had to have find, found out that he was involved with Nancy. Right. Um, but we don't know when she found out. Yeah. Was it right when the crime happened? Did she was know it before? before? Did she, yeah. We don't know. But either yeah. way, he didn't attend her funeral. And I think that's just odd. Because not only because it was Nancy, but also his, his baby. Child. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It seems like it's weird. a red flag to me. I mean, there's a pretty strong chance that he knew he wouldn't have been... Welcome. welcome there but yeah i would still think that he would go and sit in the back or you know something like that and the fact that he didn't go is and i don't think strange. the fam most of the family hadn't met him before so right. he could have attended and just blended in with the crowd if it yeah 
if it had mattered to him a lot, I would have thought that he would have been there. So that is, it, I agree. Everybody grieves differently, but it is a little strange. Mm-hmm. Um, when Detective Joe Stark was interviewed in 2016, he was a wealth of information in that article. He revealed some new information from that that wasn't originally mentioned in the 1989 article. He said that Nancy had a gash on her forehead and she had bruising around her neck. Um, the autopsy report, I think it made it clear that it was around the back of her neck. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know, again, that she was found in the passenger seat of her own, like, less than a year old, pretty much brand new car. I mean, when I get a new car, I don't let just anybody drive it, you know, do you? No. No. You, it's got to be somebody you trust, somebody you think is reliable. So it would seem that it's somebody that she trusted to drive her her new car. And I also thought that when when we drove that route between her apartment and where the car was abandoned, that really short, nothing, two-minute drive, it seems like it would have been just impossible for the driver to reach over and start strangling her or choking her or anything while still driving driving the car. And then that no time at all. I don't know. I Personally, I think it makes the most sense that they would have probably pulled over somewhere, whether it was into the Red Oak subdivision or somewhere else, got into an altercation, and then that would have been where she was attacked. I don't think it happened while they were on the road while they were driving. Right. I think that um, what's also interesting in that 2016 article was that the detectives said that there were blood droplets found near the body. They believed those to be belong to Nancy, but what was more interesting was that he said that they pulled DNA from the steering wheel. So unless the driver was wearing gloves, mm-hmm. we now know the DNA of who was driving the car. Yeah, that is super interesting. And it's the fact that you mentioned gloves as well. Her family told us that there was also a blue fingerless glove found near the car. And it was this, they said it was the same type of glove that Nancy and her coworkers used at the bulk mail center while they were sorting mail. So whose glove was this? Was it her glove? Was it, could it have been his glove? Was it just a random glove? You know, that seems like the coincidence is too high. I don't think so. But for that particular type of glove, right? right. A blue fingerless glove. So we, we don't know. And unfortunately, it's not something that the police are willing to comment on. But maybe there's some DNA that would be in those gloves that could be tested if it hasn't been yet. You know, obviously, back in 89, the DNA testing, the analysis, it's not anywhere near where it is today. It's not the same level of sophistication. It was still pretty new. But again, in 2016, the police acknowledged that DNA was left behind. But I don't know. Apparently, I mean, it hasn't resulted in any identification. I don't know why. Once the uh, detectives get a DNA profile, they typically upload it to CODIS. And that's the the law enforcement's um, system that stands for Combined DNA Index System. And what that does is it compares and matches DNA of convicted convicted rather mm-hmm. felons. So unless Nancy's killer had ever been convicted of a felony, then there would be no match in CODIS. Okay, that makes sense. So then what would they do then if they have an, an unknown DNA profile? Well, that's been a, a topic of great interest lately. You remember the uh, Golden State Killer case? Yes, I did. I watched a documentary about him. He was the guy, uh, they found him, he was in his 70s, but he was he committed all these murders and rapes decades before, right? Mm-hmm. And 
Because the Golden State Killer had committed so many crimes, the California police had a lot of DNA from his cases. They were creative. They decided to use genetic genealogy to figure out who this suspect was relate- related to. They uploaded the DNA profile to GEDmatch or Family Tree DNA. Those are the only two public genealogy databases that would allow law enforcement to use the DNA to match um, to relatives of the suspect. So they can see who the suspect's related to, and then they reverse engineer a family tree to identify the suspect. Oh, that's actually really interesting. But has the MPD tried this yet? Well, when we asked them, they said because it's an ongoing investigation, they could not comment on uh, any information regarding evidence um, in the case. Okay. Well, I really hope that they, you know, explore that as an option and be super, super interesting and helpful. And you never know what they could find. Although this is scary, the family seems to believe that DNA evidence has been lost over the years. Yeah, one of the family members told us that the detectives had alluded to the fact that the DNA had been used up. But what does that mean when it's been, if they say it's been used up? Well, they may not have had a lot of DNA to work with to begin with. Um, when when you have a lot of DNA, you typically use what's called microarray sequencing. And that means that you're not using up the whole sample. It just looks for certain DNA markers. But if you only have a little bit of DNA, then you typically do whole genome sequencing. And that analyzes all the genetic data of the unknown DNA contributor. So it's not just looking for certain markers. It's doing like a whole um, analysis of it. So if they had a limited amount, they would have done whole genome sequencing so that they could get as much information as they could. Now, this process, that costs a lot more money than the okay. microarray. So we don't know what type of research or analysis the police did or when they did it. Mm-hmm. So if there's untested items that they still have, um, maybe they used up all the DNA from the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. But maybe okay. if there's other articles of clothing or something that could be tested, then you know maybe some of these new modern t- DNA techniques could help move this case along. The family said that she had a, a watch that she typically wore that was snatched off, and they think that the police have that watch still in their possession in the evidence kit. The, the family's really pushing for you know DNA to help solve this case because so many cases are in the news these days, decades old, that are being solved mm-hmm. with genetic genealogy. We're just not sure why the police haven't done this, or maybe they have. We just don't know. Maybe they don't have the budget for it. Right. Maybe they don't have... Maybe the, maybe the DNA is just not there on the items of clothing mm-hmm. that they have. And we, they ju- are, we just don't know. They are swamped. Like we were talking earlier about how many cases that we could have chosen from. So I know that they have probably a backlog. Or, right. So, could be anything. Um, but we do understand and we respect why the MPD couldn't answer all of our questions. We know that this is still an open investigation. We appreciate very much how much they've collaborated with us. They've been super helpful and uh, we asked them, what can the public do to help? And they said, you know, if anybody has any information, it doesn't matter how insignificant they may think it is. Any information regarding the death of Nancy Little that occurred in October of 89, they're strongly encouraged to contact the Memphis Police, ho- Memphis Police Department's Homicide Bureau at 901-636-3300. Again, it didn't matter how insignificant the information may seem. That's up for them to determine. They just need to know the information so that it can be evaluated. And if there's other options. If an, if an individual wants to remain anonymous, they can also contact Crime Stoppers at 
1-800-528 cash, which is 901-528-2274. There's another option. The police, the Memphis Police Department has a cold case unit hotline, and that telephone number is 901-636-2653. And anyone who calls that cold case unit hotline, they can leave information on the voicemail system if they want. They can provide their name, their contact number. And that uh, cold case unit, those investigators are going to review the information and they're going to call the caller back as soon as possible. So as we wrap up this case, I'm left to believe that whoever killed Nancy was someone that she knew, someone she trusted. I think the killer came to her apartment after 6 o'clock, somehow convinced her to go out. Maybe they're going somewhere to talk about the birth, mm-hmm. um, plans about child support, or maybe going just going out to get some... You know, yeah, it could ice cream have been, it or something. Could have been innocent, yeah. We don't know. But somehow she was persuaded to leave her apartment. And they didn't get very far before some sort of argument ensued. The driver pulled into the neighborhood. She was physically assaulted. He held her in such a position that she was unable to breathe. Now, it could have been maybe a spur-of-the-moment thing. could have been an accident. A moment of rage. Right, but what? what's... Um, telling to me is that he didn't go or he or she didn't mm-hmm. go knocking on any doors asking for help. Right. So please to call the police, please call an ambulance. Something terrible happened. Right. She needs help. He just, he or she just disappeared. The um, detective in 2016 said that the boyfriend had connections to the neighborhood where she was found. So, you know, maybe it was a relative coworker, somebody that, um, that the person knew in the neighborhood or even if he didn't have that connection, then just a 15, 20-minute walk back to her apartment. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think it was personal. I don't think it was anything random. You know, this was a crime of passion. It wasn't a, a gunshot from far away. This was somebody up close and, you know, right in her face. And it was somebody that she obviously trusted because they she 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 left her house when normally she would not do that. She was dressed when normally she would be in for the night and asleep. She let them drive her brand new car. I think it's somebody that she had to know. I do think it was probably a man just from the strength it would take to to do the physical active the, the just the physicality of this crime. I feel like it would have to have been a man, but I don't know. Could the baby's father could her boyfriend's wife be involved in some way maybe she did know something we we just we don't know hopefully though that there there's dna left that can be tested i mean that glove on the steering wheel the watch the watch something that would help so much Or hopefully somebody hears this podcast and they they do the right thing by letting law enforcement know that the killer told them something. We do know someone called in a tip and then clammed up. So I, with all my heart, believe that somebody knows what happened. I don't... Even outside of the the perpetrator. Yes. He probably told somebody. That's what I think I do. I don't think you could do this type of crime and then just live with it and not let it eat you up. And not tell somebody. So I I think there's a strong chance of that. When we spoke to some of Nancy's high school classmates, or we we actually even spoke to the the homeowner where her car was found. The original homeowner still lives there. And all all these people, they thought this has already been solved. When we brought it up, we were talking about Nancy Little, we're doing this podcast. And they're like, oh, I remember that. Like, we thought 
that was done. Mm-hmm. We thought he was in jail. Um, so I don't know. I I think this case has fallen through the cracks. I think it's been forgotten about. Well, with one murder a day on yes. average, there's there's like you mentioned earlier, the police have their hands full. They do, but that's why we're doing this. Nancy isn't just a name to be forgotten. She's not just a statistic. She and her daughter, Brandy, deserve justice, and so do their family members. This really ugh, killed me. It says, uh, we were reading, unfortunately, that in 1989, Nancy and Brandy's deaths would not be considered as a double homicide by Tennessee law. And if and when her killer is identified, charges would only be filed for Nancy's death because the law back then didn't consider um, a baby a person until it had breathed air. So... Oh, I feel like that's even like pouring salt into a wound for Nancy's family, you know, because they didn't just lose Nancy. They lost baby Brandy as well. They lost a daughter, a sister, a niece, a granddaughter. And who knows what they could have gone on to become and gone on to do and what kind of people they could have been and what they could have brought to the world. Yeah, if anybody does have any information on this case, please do the right thing. Make Make one of those uh, phone calls to the numbers that Kelly mentioned earlier. Can you give them those numbers again? Yes. So 901-636-3300 is the number to Memphis Homicide Department or call the cold case hotline at 901-636-2653 or you can make an anonymous call to Crime Stoppers at 901-528-CASH, which is 901 528 2274. We'd really like to thank the friends and family of Nancy for letting us to get to know her a little better as a person. We've spent months working on this case mm-hmm. and you know, I know that they're ready for some sort of closure. 30 plus years is a really long time for someone to get away with murder and for there to be so long of a gap with no activity in the media or coverage mm-hmm. of it. Like you said earlier, the case has just fallen through the cracks it seems like. And I, yeah, we're invested in it. You know, I feel like we got to know her family. We got to know her and I want justice for them. You want justice for them. We want, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Some movement, you know. Something. We're hoping to get to meet the family. We've talked to them over the phone, but, you know, due to the pandemic, we haven't been able to, but hopefully in the near future, we'll be able to meet them in person. They have, yeah, they have been so, so supportive and so helpful. We also want to thank Deputy Director Dave Martello of the Memphis Police Department's Cold Case Unit for his cooperation, his support. He's been great. Really, we look forward to working with him more in the future. If you guys enjoyed this, please follow us on social media for updates on future episodes that focus on true crime from the Deep South. We would love to hear from you. Any comments about theories that you may have, anything that you think further that we could do to help, that the police could do to help, please let us know. So you can follow us on Instagram at Southern Fried Homicide Podcast. And also on Facebook at Southern Fried Homicide Podcast. So again, thank you so much for listening. Join us next time as we talk about more Tales of the Dark Side of the South.